Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the AltMed podcast. With me as always, my co-host Mitch Kurtz. How are you doing, Mitch? Hey, very good on my microphone, which you don't have at the moment. I know you, you've you've really um, gone up a level with equipment. Headphones looking good too. Thank you. Um, well, our guest and myself are, are on the humble um, microphone and, and audio setup, but um, it is our pleasure to introduce. A friend, um, someone we really admire in, in the industry more broadly, um, it's CBD Luke um, from the Northern Rivers region. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Thank you for being had. Yeah, it's um, No, we've been wanting <laughs> to well. chat for a while. I think um, some of our audience might um, already know you. You are a bit of a, a celebrity in the space. Um following your um, starring role in, in the green light film. Um, and that was, that's something we might, um, we might get to shortly um, because gosh, there was so much media that, that spun off out of that. And a lot of people um, that I know think that it's really cool that I know one of the guys or both guys from that film, but, um, but yeah, perhaps before we dive there, can we maybe get your background and, and how you fell into the space of, of dealing with CBD and, and your background and journey into that? Sure. Well, you know, f- for me, it was uh, about um, assisting someone that was really close to me. But, you know, I, I grew up around uh, cannabis and growers. And, you know, so it's sort of it's sort of in the fabric of, of my or the weave of my fabric, I should say, you know, it's that, you know, my father, other, other people that as I was growing up, um, you know that was something that they they'd done in their past, and so it was. You know, for for me, I I started I dabbled around with growing, and to be quite honest with you, I'm not very good at it. Um, you know, so it's it <laughs> I was always around it. I I took to it as a young person myself, and had what I'd call a a kind of a, a love hate relationship with uh, cannabis, and the way that I was using it for many many years was it was both a pleasure and a pain. Um, alongside of other things so I had this kind of intimate relationship with cannabis that taught me a lot but was also quite uh, challenged because I was, I was misusing it um, and the, the sort of end result of that after many years of creating some balance with that was, was starting to be actually educated myself about it about its, its value and its medicinal qualities so there was a conversation being had overseas that was starting here and that really picked my interest because of my own experience with it and so I started to learn about CBD, which was um, a bit revelatory, really, just that there was, you know, th- this plant had had balances for so long of, of, of things that I had no idea about. I, I didn't know about cannabinoids. I knew about Delta 9 THC, you know. And so I started to become really fascinated. I, I love chemistry, but I had made no close study of the plant at that level of this new understanding that there was all of these cannabinoids and that they exerted different effects and so I became fascinated with, you know, medicines and poisons are, you know, a poison is often a medicine just taken a little too much. Um, so learning about that helped me to understand. Um, I'm just going to have to move offices. Sorry. Uh, the, right. computer, the computer here is getting a bit low. Um, so understanding about those. You all right? Yeah. Go for it. Okay. No, we, we love a little bit of extra flavor in some of our podcasts. So. Nice. Well, you, yeah, you're, talking, you're talking to an arch, arch Luddite here. It's amazing. <laughs> Honestly, this is, I think this is the first Zoom call I've ever made. So. <laughs> well, we're honored. Believe it or not. So, um, yeah, so, so that, that sort of journey of understanding what had been going on with, with myself 
and then putting CBD into the mix and watching the way that my relationship with, um, with, with THC changed so much and really came into balance. I understand that there was a cohort of people who either had been heavy cannabis users um, and were having some side effects that weren't so good later on or people that were seeking to be introduced to cannabis that already had some of those uh, less pleasant side effects of, of, of cannabis use that could meet in the middle and you can you know, have CBD medications with um, reasonably low percentages, but still enough to exert a really awesome benefit. So, you know, I, I was very, very excited, but at, at the time it was also just around a dear friend of mine that was dying, as I mentioned before, and he was a, a, a wonderful, um, tough old mentor friend that uh that i decided i'd, I'd grow for because he had cancer you know the guy went years past his diagnosis he was he was you know pissing out chunks of tumor and he had these big um you know bags on his back for his, for his urine and he was just this tough old guy that kept on giving to people so much and but he was such a scrooge it was so tight so <laughs> so he, he wouldn't buy this this he, he got some cannabis to make this cannabis medicine it was the worst pot i'd ever seen in my life it was so it was so rank it was i'd barely call it a viable compost um so <laughs> i said to him listen if i go and if i go and grow for you uh will you will you take it as a medicine and we'll see how you go because he was he was also a little bit um even though he was a, a plant medicine guy ayahuasca and other things he was a bit down on pot you know, and that was a that's something that's changed dramatically as a, as a, on a societal level. There was there was quite strong feelings about it, um, and so he uh, he said he would. I said, okay, so if it if it heals, you got to pay for it. So anyway, I went about growing, um, and uh, lightning hit the patch of uh, bushland down down near where I live. I've been growing. Oh, no, been growing in the bush, and lightning actually cooked about twenty acres. So. Anyway, that got burned to the ground. I thought, all right, that's bugger it. I'm, I'm going I'm to do this. So I uh, went and replanted in the same spot. Um, and uh, there was a bit of potash around after the bushfires. But, um, yeah, that, it turned, turned out that I was about halfway through that and he called me up and said that he was he'd, he'd decided it was time for him to die. Um, and so uh, I went around and hung out with him and one of the promises I made is that I'd, I'd go and um, give this give this to you know whatever I grew and that I'd go and give it to some people so and as much as I could to as many people as I could is and so that was the agreement I made with him and that sort of spawned my uh you know going to the community with this uh plant honestly that what I got off off the grow was barely enough to make anything in terms of oils so, so I, I took to to uh some some relationships with some really good uh, growers around here. You know, there's a lot of good growers around here. Yeah. Some not the perfect growing conditions, you know, and you got bugs from bugs from the sky with uh, big rotors on them occasionally. But, you know, there's still some great growers around here and some great herbs. So I figured let them do that and I'd go out and actually give the medicine to people. So that's that's what I've been doing ever since is getting the medicine to the people in, in whatever way that they need and they can. Yeah, amazing. And, um, you know, there's a few people that might say they've seen a few patients over the over the medical journey, but I imagine you might leave a few of them for dead uh, with the the number of people you would have seen since since that story took place. Any any kind of rough figures or do you know how many people you've met that have been looking for, you know, or in one shape or form, some kind of alternative? For wouldn't that be the entire population of the Northern Rivers region? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Um, it could be uh, 
Mate, it's, uh, to be honest with you, I, I couldn't really put a number on it, but uh, there was several th several thousand people ended up having my phone number at, at, at the point where I decided to stop uh, being, uh, I guess, being Contactable. the front line. Well, just the front line of patient contact, you know. At times it really felt like this kind of, you know, this, this battle for patient rights and all this thing. And so I felt that that was the front of the front line, being with these people that were often so distressed from their circumstances already and then add on to that the stress of not being able to actually access a medicine that they wanted to explore whether it could help them. Um, so that's that's the position that I occupied. So it felt like that was, you know, my task for a long time. And, and when it, I got to a point where these thousands of people had my number and I just realised that I'd had really incredible experiences with people. It was you know, an amazing journey. And there was just the fact was is that I wasn't able to, continually give adequate care to that many people. And I knew heaps of people doing it, like the networks that have been servicing the needs of, of, of patients is actually, it's a huge and wonderful web, really. It's like, it's, an, it's a kind of underground web that, that you know, spanned the country for so long. And now we've got this, this extra um, access points through the license model, which is, which is it's delightful. That's the, we couldn't ask for anything more. That was, what, what I was doing there. So in many ways, these thousands of people that I was, I've you know, been in contact with have now got the choice at the time that they didn't have um, to nearly nearly the same degree because even though this, this network was so widespread, it, obviously, that you know, there was, it's not like something that was advertised. So that people's sure. access points at, at, a, at a micro level, people's access points are really limited. Now you can call up a doctor and in 10 minutes you can have a script and it can be posted to your front door and... Imagine how good that is for people that, you know, are, are compromised in so many ways and in lockdown and so forth. So it's kind of sure. perfect, perfect timing for the lockdown story, actually, that it's able mm. to be accessed legally now so well. So, you know, for all that, what, what a perfect kind of uh, medicine as, as much as it could be said that something could be perfect for all those people that are in, you know, not, not great circumstances being locked down. But isn't it, isn't it great they can access it? So that's... Yeah. that's and we've seen a lot of growth thanks to um, telehealth and the uh, the uptake on that, especially in the recent times with obviously the ever-present uh, COVID that we're experiencing at the moment. Sure, but that, that's what makes that model possibly even more, you know, that, that that's its time because before that, I don't think before COVID happened that people are actually that open to telehealth. You know, in, in many ways, part of the issue that we were experiencing was lots of people, like a large amount of people saying, oh, I can't speak to my local GP about it. And so I feel mm. uncomfortable with it. And so the COVID thing has, has driven people online and, and open to that so much more. So so good time for that. You know, I, had, I think it was from one of you gentlemen told me the figures of what CBD, as I said, uh, what are the guys up on Burley Heads, CDC, what they're, what they're doing, you know, in terms of the amount of scripts they're writing. That is a significant amount of people being able to access these days. Mm. And they're, you know, they're one. I mean, they're one of the bigger um, players. But yeah, it's they're one of many still, right? I mean, how mm. many people are visible now? If you, if you get on, if you just Google it, there's just there's a list of them. Mm. Green Pharma, who are, by the way, I think are awesome for doing their latest venture. You, I'm sure you saw what they're doing there with the psilocybin research for people. I'm, I couldn't, couldn't be happy about that. What, what a great way to. Yeah, you could. Out. We've said this before, but you could almost say that uh, cannabis is a bit of a gateway drug for the other ones that are coming through. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's actually on that point. I mean, what you were describing, Luke, in your journey um, and sort of 
where it led to in terms of um, which I think was so beautifully captured in the the green light film and, and to anyone listening if you haven't seen that film it's it's really is um, is you know some of the best 70 minutes you'll you'll ever see it's it's just fascinating but you talking about your journey of um, and and you know like you I certainly first became introduced to, to cannabis through recreational side. And it blows my mind that some people these days, their first looking at cannabis is as a medicine, you know, and yeah, uh, that, that to me is just like, but as you say, you know, a poison can be a medicine and it only becomes a poison when it's, when it's sort of over overused, but the juxtaposition between, you know, sitting around and, and maybe indulging and partaking a little bit too heavily with mates recreationally to, the place that is depicted in that film where you, you know, you had people that were kind of on their knees, you know, they're, they're sort of their last resort, um, just seeking help um, from, from anyone who would listen, anyone that could, you know, provide them with an alternative medicine. Um, I mean, did it, did it get to a point where you, you just thought, oh, this is actually too hard. I need to step back from yeah. this because it's it's now becoming emotionally too much of my life i don't have any bandwidth left for myself my family is that sort of yeah yeah all, 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 all of those things well said actually you know that's um there was there was for you know an extent extended period of time there particularly around when the film was made things started to change by the time that from when the film was made and when it came out there started to be significant shifts towards patient access and, yeah. about, and availability but at the time particularly was was you know I uh, realized that I was spending so much time with this side of things that my my family my new child my, my family that I had had lost a lot of connection there with them um, and that I was obsessed with this and that I was extending myself beyond which was reasonable but I, I saw that also that, that was part of what what needed to happen but there was there came a time where absolutely I felt I felt roast you know I was, I was burnt out and and I was you know I had these wonderful people around me these people I was working with and they all just they were supportive of, of stepping back and actually sharing that workload with other people so so yeah. that that became a, that, that was a great step actually that kind of uh, you know, it being too much to to bear was perfect to you know take the next step which was to um, start working with the people that were working with patients. So that, that was formed the sort of next part of, of, of what I did was um, provide assistance to the providers of this network that we were assisting patients to uh, receive medicine from. So that, that then sent a, a lot of work out to other people who were really wanting to be on the front line, whose calling was right there. And so that was awesome to be able to just pass that, that on and, and give, give more background assistance to people. Now, I, yeah. still see, I still see patients, but it might be a couple a week. It might be, you know, 10 a week. It might be, it's, it's, there's, it's a very small thing that I can actually be present with people. And that was the most important thing is feeling like these people are getting, it wasn't about me, as these people needed more, they needed better care and they need someone that could be present with them because I started to find myself just being overwhelmed. And, and, mm. stepping, and at that point, then it's no longer a good duty of care to continue what I was doing. So I had to just take that part of myself and, and, and move on to assisting others who obviously had that, they stepped forward with that much spirit. You can see when someone's keen to, to be in that position. And then, you know, a lot of people that, that I've um, worked with over the years have taken a step back from it because they get too much load, you know, it's, it, it, without a lot of professional assistance and the backing of, of the medical field or whatever, there's a, a lot of it that 
you know, it's, it's difficult territory to, to tread. You know, there's a lot of ethical stuff around it. There's so much that comes up that I think is um, the background to a provider's existence, really. Um, that sort of runs you those concerns, those also the understanding and the hope that there's going to be better guidance in place than what the a person can give. You know, I'm like a paramedic to a, to a patient that's in this state of emergency often. That's how I felt. But, yeah, you know, yeah, that makes sense. I'm not a doctor, you know, uh, and and the plant was was in, in its own way as a doctor, and I'd see that as the doctor in hospital. But really, the, the structures that we needed in place, um, and that are we're working towards now, they just weren't there, and that was that was that was you know difficult to watch and difficult to be a part of. And so, you know, I'm once again really happy that things are moving so much more that way. We don't feel this sense of urgency bearing down on our organisation at all times. You know, we feel a sense now of people are coming and they're interested and they have an element of choice and there's still the, the sadness that many of them are, uh, are very sick and, and dying is there and that's real, but that urgency, this, this, this lack of choice that people had and that desperation that they were having to seek something illegally, um, you know, and, and feel that concern as well as what they're already going through as people, that's been alleviated greatly and that's a big thing. There's a big, big shift has happened since those times. And I think, um, you know, We've only had medicinal cannabis legally in its current form since 2000, the end of 2016 and really only access from 2017, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, there's a long time where it went absolutely nowhere, where, access, so, where, where legal didn't mean accessible one bit and without just, accessibility, just, it may well not been legal. At the just time. curious what, what, um, what kind of year you were kind of coming into the scene or how long before? Oh, okay, so I've been... I've, I was chatting to my the person that we ended up, you know, um, that the person that ended up forming an organisation with, um, and then we'd, we'd pegged it about sort of seven and a half years. So it was... Right, so about 2009-ish. So Yeah, it was something like that. Thereabouts. Wow, wow amazing. And over... Nine, no, we've got seven and a half years. So what are we, 2021? 2008, 2009. 2012, yeah. Oh, it's from... from, from 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 now back. Oh, from now. Sorry, I was thinking yeah, yeah. from yeah, before. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Okay. So still still quite a few years there. Um, yeah, there was a long time where it was it was very very fresh. There was just no. It was it was still very much a a, a, a cannabis as as what we'd known it as. The, the the conversation politically was was still very strident. The the media was still very much uh, mired in the. In the pot cannabis drug story back yeah. then, and and that the the change in that is is massive. It's significant that a whole a whole society can change its attitude so much, and then the media end up getting on board and things like that. So it's been a really shit slow and laborious, glacial, all sorts of other slow and and kind of fucked up process uh, over time. <laughs> but it's 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 at least going if, if I can say that. It's, it's, it's at least going where it needs to now. That's so, a medical uh, term, I think. It's, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so over time, you can you can see a change that didn't feel like it for most of the time in its own in its segments. Well, you I know, think at the, the time it felt frustrating, and it actually it still is. I still note that there's people that are still, you know, there's still a, it's broadening, and doctors are, are, are much more educated and helpful, I'm sure, in assisting patients. Yeah, to get what they need, but. It's still a concern for many people that it's not more open, and I hope that we go a lot further. So yeah, my, absolutely. You know, my my delight in how things have changed in the macro doesn't stop me from wanting to see things change dramatically more to improve patient access in heaps of ways that I think it still needs to be. 
Absolutely. I think one of the um, one of the things that I sort of felt a sense of in the aftermath of that movie that you're in green light was just that often you don't see progress politicians, um, you know, policymakers, bureaucrats, people don't um, necessarily drive um, reform to access or things like this, unless there's a spotlight shone on the inadequacy of it. And I guess one of the reasons why I felt like what you and Nick did was brave is you kind of, you stood up, you represented what you describe as like a network across the whole country of people that were facilitating access for so many people that couldn't get in by the, the legal pathway. And you just sort of said, you know, here I am, this is what I'm doing. And I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help people and, and bridge a gap. And it was sort of in a way that it, the documentary felt a bit like an investigative journalism piece in the sense of it just ripped the bandaid off and said, here is a huge problem that we have. We apparently have a legal system, but no one can access it. And this is what day-to-day people, uh, this is what their story is. And this is how they're getting access to it. And so, I mean, for starters, I just, as a first comment is just to commend, um, you know, you and, and Nick on your bravery in, in doing that. But, but I really do, it sounds like you're in a, obviously a better place now with not being so relied upon. But I think, you, you know, if it weren't for you doing that and being so brave, I don't know if we would have seen the improvements necessarily that we've had over the last couple of years um, that seem to have really accelerated in the in the aftermath of the negative publicity that the government received following that film. Do, do you sort of share that view or have any other views on, on that? Uh, I would say, you know, what, 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 what you're saying is, is accurate to a, a piece of a, a very large puzzle and the large puzzle is made up of so many people so many patient stories. There is the, you know, there was this, there was a long time where there nearly wasn't a, a day where there wasn't a media piece on a patient or something that had happened to do with the legislation. Like it was a really, it, it was a growing debate that grew and grew and grew and grew. And I think we were just one little piece of a large puzzle that ended up, you know, ended up really turning out to 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 drive change. You know, we, we were effective in our, our little bit, but so many other people, and just the, pay, the amount of patient stories, some of the stuff that, that, that people did to show love for their children by risking so much to come and speak to the media, you know, that's just, it's so moving that these people went and did that, you know, it, it really is. And so yeah. we, were, we were, you know, glad to be a part of that in our own way. And so, but, the, you know, that does, I, I guess, show a little bit of the, I could almost call it the edge of desperation well, and, and for, for many desperation that we were feeling that we felt like we actually needed to, 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 to say things in that way so publicly, but we made a, a, you know, a, a, a clear line between what we were there to do and what, in, you know, in, in our, the more emotional part of ourselves, we might want to lash out or get angry about lots of things. But we decided that how we really felt is that we just need to speak for patients and for access rather than against anyone or anything that was stopping it just speak for people's needs and I think that was an effective way of reaching a lot of people we didn't receive the 
potential negative side effects that that we were deeply concerned about you know like yeah and i wanted to ask about that, that. Film, i lost more sleep over that film than yeah <laughs> like it's if you think <laughs> about it right if you think about it it's, it's quite a risky step in a lot of ways and i would yeah. imagine you would have been thinking you know constantly about law enforcement you know yeah, dawn raids from the uh, special ops group and all that sort of nick stuff. said there were helicopters over the house yeah. a different state all sorts of stuff yeah, he, got, he got caught for some plants and stuff and and you know, it was a it was a daily, the daily feeling of of or that needing to 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 wake up and process the amount of I guess anxiety that we or that I'll speak for myself. You know, I was processing a lot of anxiety just to get to the point where I'm ready for my day, and so I was I was running on this kind of adrenaline and anxiety. Did but, you have CBD for that, or? Mate, I, <laughs> yeah. I, stopped, I stopped using a lot of THC though, to be honest with you. So I, I was. I started using CBD just more frequently and, um, you know, so. And did you have it there? Just in, in, if, if you had the police show up to your address, obviously they're going to be stressed about doing some sort of an arrest or something like that. So you <laughs> had CBD supplies for them as well. Is that sort of how? Yeah, I had it lined up on that. No, there's was, there was plenty of problem, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, look, I, I, what, I, what I, I knew, I, what I thought that I knew was that that, we were also occurring at a time where the debate was shifting so much and that I didn't, in, in many ways, I didn't feel directly uh, threatened by the, the, the you know, the, I, didn't, I don't think the government stance was particularly hostile towards, towards yeah. um, people in many ways that it had been before. So instead of, you know, I, I concentrated more on how it had been and how that had changed, you know, there was, you know, I'd had incidences of being um, uh, uh, apprehended with with medicine uh, in, in large enough amounts to constitute a very indictable uh, issue, and the the interactions ended up being, I think, fair and equitable to the situation itself, not to how things could have been in the very um, you know recent past. So. Mm. I, I was, you know, there was a, a mixture of, of things, but I also felt that aside from the anxiety and the fear and all of that stuff that's natural, that, that sure. was happening in concerns, there was also this sense that that people really supported us. It might be the area we're in, I don't know. Other people had different experiences as well, documented cases of that in the media. But once again, we were just speaking for people and doing something for people. I'm not on social media. It was, a, it was one of the choices I made to, to be not making public statements really and that ended up you know changing into doing some you know I was, I was doing conferences and things like that and speaking for things but it was a fine line for me because I saw what happened when people either particularly you know one of the biggest issues with the sort of the, the, the uh, uh, green market cannabis um, network was is that publicly there was people feuding a lot so there was the, the most strident voices of any get, movement get the most attention and some of the voices within this particular movement were fairly strident and fairly adversarial uh, and fairly difficult with each other particularly so it didn't feel like there was a lot of cohesion going on so I watched people on either social media or in or in the mainstream media just turn on it on themselves and each other really and I saw mm -hmm. that pretty poorly for for some people um, and so I, I was happy to not take part in any of that. So, in, in, so I felt comfortable with that, that, you know, that, that there was enough, I guess, social and media um, acceptance and then pressure starting to build and that government would follow suit at some point in time. So once again, it felt super frustrating in its, in its small increments, but taken on a whole, it was heading somewhere um, that it, it now is far more, 
there. And speaking about stories like that, I feel like it would be remiss of me not to ask if there are any stories along the journey, anonymized, of course, that or even patient stories, you know, of access or or particular indications or illnesses that people came. What, what were the common things that people would come? Was it more anxiety? Was it um, cancer type indications? What were the types of things? And then what types of stories might you have generally, let's say? Yeah. Well, you know, it, what do you want? To, I like, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know where to go with that one. Like, I, I guess I feel, you know, as far as patients go, a lot of that, a lot of that sort of, you know, confidential to their individual cases. But sure, definitely talk talk broadly, and then maybe yeah, yeah. Myself, but it's the cancer was such a big one, and that was, you know, maybe thirty or forty percent of all calls were related to cancer. What I did find overwhelming, also not being a, a medical doctor, is that there was maybe uh, countless i couldn't tell you how many different types of conditions people were looking to uh, looking for some treatment potentially for yeah and so there's no way that, that you know my, that, that would be specialized across 20 different doctors that just the, the cases that i saw um so that was also mm. something that that we noted was just a, a huge amount of things and i think that's now become more apparent what it is is really good for and and some of the things it was great for some it wasn't um i I think cancer still is is a a large area of needing a lot of research being put into it i've been hearing recently um from israel and states that they're talking about there being some of the minor cannabinoids that they're looking at as actually being uh the 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 effective part of cannabis for particular cancer treatments so a lot of that's you know proprietary knowledge that's being spoken about more more broadly than than definitely but that's what i'm really interested is to see what comes out of that side of things so cancer you know the anxiety of course you know we're well placed to speak speak on that one (laughs) (laughs) yep 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 uh and that was it looks sleep disturbance things like that um pain pain of of so many kinds be it emotional or physical or or, you know so yeah it's I could speak all night about the amount of different conditions that people came with and mm. some things were amazing watching a, a, a guy come in in a wheelchair um, and then come back two weeks later on some crutches. That was super cool. He hadn't been out of a wheelchair for years um, after a big accident and then these degenerative diseases that, that set in with his immune system. So seeing someone walk up up the stairs on a, some crutches after being hoisted up by two people in a, in a wheelchair you know, things like that are so are so deeply moving, you know, and, and the, yeah. the children that were seizing so much, you know, if you hold a baby that is 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 having a seizure and, you know, I'm a, I'm a father now and I just, the parents of those children, what they go through, I, I yeah. it's, it's, it's beyond words really. And so seeing a, a child like that, be, you know, come to being still and being at peace and the parents being able to connect from a place other than just a, this huge amount of, of concern is, uh, is is unforgettable kind of experiences, you know. Mm, um, imagine. Yeah, it would be. So, okay. So it's pretty, um, uh, I guess, consistent with what we see in, in the medical sphere with, with uh, you know, it being prescribed for things like pain and anxiety and sleep and probably neurological disorders, Parkinson's, that type of thing as well, epilepsy. So um, that's good to hear. Now, there is actually one thing that I've been meaning to chat to you about, and I wanted to get your thoughts on something we haven't actually discussed yet. Delta 8. Oh, 
Mitch. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I just had to drop it uh-huh. in the middle. I know, I know it was no, unprecedented. No, no. We're, we're in no, a flow. I, I said I was so open. I wanted to talk about everything. I'm an open book. Can't talk about that. No, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to talk about it. Um, it's actually something that that has been coming up um, into my periphery a lot more of late, especially in America. It's been popping up a lot. And you know why? Because it bloody well should. Okay, so hang on. But there's some, some of our listeners won't know what Delta 8 is. So I don't know, Luke, do you, or Mitch, <laughs> someone's got to I'll do let it. Luke do a, a, a quick introduction. It seems to, I, I know that he has a little proclivity towards this direction. So let, I'm just very keen to hear Luke speak about <laughs> Delta 8. All right. Okay. <laughs> I thought I'd be doing this in invest, in, at an investor meeting, but you know, your podcast <laughs> is to, to polish it. So. But, <laughs> Okay, so Delta Eight is um, something that's not. It, it's it's very very finite if it, uh, produced at all in in nature itself. Uh, it is present to some small degrees, um, but when put under heat pressure and pH changes, to just be really you know um, to to put it in layman's terms, the molecule of CBD and particularly CBD isolate is easy to do this from. Um, you can turn CBD isolate into delta 9 THC, which converts into delta 8 THC faster than the delta 9 is being created to the point where you can end up, you can start with a lot of CBD converting to delta 9, and then it ends up being a very swift conversion over to delta 8. So you can end up with very tiny amounts of delta 9 and really large amounts of delta 8 THC. So you could call it like a cousin of THC or an isomer, but What's fabulous about it is once this, this conversion has been done, you can then get a, a cannabinoid screen and you can get eight different cannabinoids. So it, we take this plant, isolate it, and then put it under a few very basic conditions and suddenly you've got this, this amazing transformation, this, this stream back into other cannabinoid groupings. That's, it, it's one of the things that's so damn fascinating about this plant is that it has so many ways it can go. And Delta 8 THC, I would call it the very, very, um, it, the Goldilocks cousin of, of Delta 9 and every other cannabinoid that I've come in contact with because it has so many of the positive benefits of Delta 9 and so many of the positive benefits of CBD right in the middle. So some of the less, it's got the, some of the less attractive things about Delta 9 that many people experience. You know, there's a lot of people that the Delta 9 just doesn't work for them. And um, that's because it can either make you overthink things, self-consciousness, and people can get paranoid, they can freak out, dysphoria, anxiety, all the things that it actually helps so many people with, it can also be quite causative for many people with. Mm. So, you know, and then we've got CBD, which is, is so benign, it can still be quite strong if you use enough of it to, to have you know, the, the Delta 9, if it's in a whole plant form, of, uh, affect you. But once you go to Delta 8, you have this, it's very powerful, strong stuff. It's a, it's a wonderful sedative. I think it is absolutely the thing for sleep um, and for anxiety if, if dosed in, in the right way and mixed with the right other appropriate amounts of CBD, particularly for day use. Um, so you can turn this thing into an into a anxiolytic um, stimulant. So an anxiolytic uh, on your central nervous system neurostimulant um, for the daytime use and then at nighttime in a different in a different uh, grouping or a different percentage ratio of, of cannabinoids, um, you can end up with this incredible sleep aid. It is the best thing for sleep. It could absolutely do away with the need for benzodiazepines of any kind for wow. nearly for nearly nearly like eight out of ten people that I've given it to. It has this incredible effect. 
where you don't get you don't get paranoid, you don't get all those kind of things, and you get this incredible sleep and sedation out of it. So wow. it's a very very interesting cannabinoid, and my understanding is in that it's it's largely being tolerated, particularly in the US. And you know we we obviously don't you know we don't follow all laws from there, but if we get that tolerated widely then that could translate into its availability. And I think that one, even more so than CBD, has the potential to reach a whole, whole cohort of people who are otherwise stuck on really heavy drugs. Um, for yeah. Something, for something as basic as sleep. And, you know, uh, my own sleep patterns myself, I've, I've, um, I have uh, I guess, yeah, a little tale, I, I decided I'd test whether benzo, uh, whether it would be as good for benzo withdrawal, uh, benzos being things like Valium, you know, benzodiazepines um, that a lot of people are taking in a very habit forming, very effective, uh, but very habit forming and the side effects of getting off can be just uh, uh, catastrophic for many people. So yeah. um, I decided after its use and giving it to a few people that had benzo issues and watching them go into the, the very calm uh, sedated place without being freaked out, I thought this is going to be great for benzos and for, for people coming off opiates because people who are on benzos are, are often not, I, I notice there's less people within the, that, that take these benzodiazepines that actually it, that THC works out well with. They're looking for something to switch off often and, and that can, cannabis can be, can be uh, both good and, and bad for that. Yeah. On the person and the product, as we know, yeah. so many different types. So I, I thought that'd be interesting. And then with the opiate uh, users, people that, that they have a relationship with that, it can be very hard to, to break um, for them because of the physical withdrawals as well. So um, I decided I'd give myself a benzodiazepine habit. I wasn't willing to give myself an opiate habit um, and go that far. Um, but I had used uh, Valium myself in the past when I was uh, you know, polydrug using regularly. Um, I had used it and had some kind of understanding of, of uh, what it was, but it wasn't until really I started, you know, doing the, the cannabis thing myself that uh, and started to get a lot of the anxieties around that we talked about for the legal anxieties. I, for, for a little while, I explored uh, benzodiazepine use and could see how uh, I have it on, on that. And then, and then I got a flood of people coming in with benzodiazepine problems and saw the absolutely horrendous um, withdrawals that people got. So I danced away from getting a habit on that. I, I think I had enough habits um, that I was doing away with. And, and so uh, fast forward many, many years later, where a lot of that stuff had been cleaned right out of my life for such a long time, I, I had um, started to use benzodiazepines occasionally um, to, to help with anxiety. Uh, and so that very, very infrequent and irregular use, uh, I guess, kept me interested in what benzos are because they're so effective in the short term and so so horrendously hard to get off in the long term. So I decided that I would go and give myself a benzo habit and that I would do that um, knowingly and, and figure out what the parameters of that were and go past them in terms of use so I could know that I had not only a that, that I had a proper dependency on them. Um, so I spoke to some doctor friends and formulated how that would normally look for a person um, that they would note in their practice. And from that, I took my own advice, not their guidance or counsel, uh, and, and gave, gave myself a benzo habit um, over a period of about a month. Um, yeah, wow. Heavily. 
and using it really heavily. Uh, and then I tried to stop cold turkey, um, you know, and I've been, this is this kind of drama speak here, cold turkey and this and that, but but it really, it was it was actually quite an intense experience. So I, I just, I, I stopped, you know, stopped cold turkey. And about 80 hours later, I started vomiting with anxiety and I was all sorts of, like if I hadn't have known what was happening to me, I would have been, you know, it would have been, a, you know, it would have been not a good scene, but I knew it was happening to me. And so I waited that out as long as I could. Um, and then I uh, took Delta 8. And the I managed to come from taking how much I was taking, which was about 30 milligrams a day of benzodiazepine. Uh, I managed to bring myself off completely within one week with no significant withdrawals or discomfort. That wow. was anything past just adjusting to not being in this kind of like, uh, you know, th this really sedated state. And Delta 8 not only replaced that, but I then stopped taking it shortly thereafter. And so it had been so effective in helping me with the reset that I didn't need to take it. I, I, and I don't need to take it regularly, which is, I think that's the measure of a, a really fine, fine substance um, as a medicine is that if it gives you a profound benefit that you don't become reliant on past a reasonable point, then that's what, that's why I kind of call it the Goldilocks molecule. It's, for me, it is, it's, it's Goldilocks. It's, it's amazing. And so I've now seen that replicated amongst many people um so it's kind of like it's kind of like tobacco uh weaning off tobacco or opioids you get that kind of harm reduction element from from your experience is is kind well, of not, not only harm reduction just to, uh, to for, for people most people a lot of not addiction most, addiction many, many people do not come off these substances because it is horrendous yeah it, it's it's you know, when you've got a life to keep together, when you've got all these things that we've got to then to then yeah. be thinking of withdrawing, not only can it be difficult for, for people to withdraw, but then with the time to do that, if it's over an extended time, it can be just so debilitating for so many people just don't stop taking things. So they're stuck on them. So I've always been interested in how you um, break the cycle interrupt so you know interrupt because I've had so many different substance um, dependencies myself in the past. I was always, you know, it's, it's one of my holy grails is, is how do you get something that helps people so profoundly that they don't need to get stuck on because it's not that great. It doesn't make you feel that great that you're attached to it so deeply, but it feels so, it's reassuring enough to take you through, you know, we, substance withdrawals can be really difficult for people. And uh, oh, yeah, of course. So that's... Um, well, yeah. it's, it's just on, but you're talking about um, the potential for Delta 8 to be... I guess potentially as big as CBD. I know there's been discussions on the legal side that it's a bit of a loophole in the US because, you know, Delta yeah. 9 is what's, you know, um, illegal. Illegal, exactly. So, yeah, they don't have the, the same analogs laws as something like Australia. We have, we have very, very, very comprehensive and, in my view, very catch. Catch all, catch all. Yeah, catch all. Uh, Any catch -all, cannabis catch derivative, you know, it's. Um, it's all all schedule eight um, and or nine, <laughs> and yeah, only CBD ninety eight percent or more is is schedule four for those playing along at home. But um, but no, I'm interested with if it was to be sort of the next big thing that takes off. I mean, it still it still gets people high, like it's still psychoactive. So there there would yeah. be some level of reluctance on that basis 
too, right? Or oh, but but we, you can buy a bud now from a ten minute phone conversation on your telehealth. So I don't think there's any true barrier to it um, being available. I don't actually expect it to be as as available as CBD in my view should be, which is totally OTC, no questions asked. I'm not into handing this over the counter to, to mm. kids. I'm into it being made medically available to people and yeah. being and then being becoming part of the recreational landscape once things do develop and there is hopefully more open and adequate dispensaries around the place. You know, I'd, I'd love to see that happen here. I don't know that it's going to happen, but I'd love to see that happen here for a, a range of cannabinoids. But I still, I'm a real advocate for its responsible use. I really am. I, I don't think that cannabinoids are harmless. I don't think they are um, all child's play. I think they are, when accurately used, they are one of the most incredible tools that we have in our tool toolkit of, of human medicine. And, and I think that it's a, an amazing plant, but when used in the wrong way, it has some real downsides. So I think yeah. Delta, 8, Delta 8, just like CBD, has the, has the chance to come out and fill a really large niche and gain acceptance from a, a, a better place than it could otherwise uh, have ever had the chance to because of these new changes in things. But it's so benign, honestly, it's really, really, I've never seen anyone freak out on Delta 8. That's just not true of Delta 9 THC. And, and I've, I've you know, seen people in a great deal of distress, um, uh, you know, in, in a state of breakdown, let's call it that, who were still able to have it and it not trigger them in a way that, that other cannabinoids possibly could. Uh, and that I would know that CBD by itself would be very, very, it would be, it would be some comfort perhaps, but not really really strongly causative in a, in a really profound medical benefit for that person at that time so i'm very excited about it because of that it's, it gives yourself it gives you something stronger it's just a it's a, another avenue that i'm excited about understanding how far that goes you know what other conditions can we create you know i'm, I'm whole, yeah i love whole plant i love organic it's a, I, I think that's all of that stuff is 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 so incredible and there's a plus end which is that we can then take these molecules in isolate forms make compounds that are, are targeted and why wouldn't we like let's but I'm, I'm just about it all being made available in its right way as much as possible and from that then we get we get citizen research scientists you know we get we get farmers <laughs> where we get farmer companies we get farmers we get everyone doing their own thing to figure out what's the best use of this and and that's where i see it going i'm you know pretty optimistic about that overall that that's where this is going and things take time they certainly do and that sucks for for many people but i think we will get to we'll get there never- i've actually on that um that point around you know where it's all sort of heading um we've asked a few guests on the show you know when do you think it's going to be when do you think cannabis is actually going to be legalized for recreational use in Australia? And if I can get you to tack <laughs> on top of that, if when we get your response to that, because um, I feel like you're going to tell us next week and I hope you're right. No, um, but when we do get your response to that, I'm interested to know what, um, yeah, what your role might be in the industry when, um, whenever that should happen. Uh, good, 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 the, latter, good the latter part of that question would be dinosaur. That's my role. <laughs> I'll be a relic in a museum now. Look, <laughs> where's, where's, it, where's it going? It's, uh, where's it going? Look, it, it has to end up. It could could one almost call it 
here's a question to, to counter the question. Could one almost call it recreationally available that one can call up now and order weed in the mail? For a medical condition, yes. Yes, definitely. But hmm. there's still a lot of choice in that. So could it almost be that where that this is a, it, it's a little like that for it to be made legal? If you want to talk legal recreationally as a as a sanctioned thing, as a completely uh, federal, from like the, the yeah, like the US, doctorless, doctorless interaction with, with five, cannabis. Five years. Five years. Okay. I mean, there's other people are much more optimistic about that, and and I think that I'm almost being optimistic saying five years. I, I agree with you personally. I, I think maybe closer to ten for THC for sure. Okay, yeah, uh, and that's, like that wouldn't be an unreasonable uh, CBD. I, I think within maybe three to five. Yeah, um, but I just can't see the TGA doing THC anytime soon. There's just a person. I, not that I don't want it. I do want it, but I just. I just can't see it happening, if if you know what I mean. And there has been, you know, I don't know how much this matters, but I think it does come into it in a, in a country as small as ours that there's been so much politically around the medicalisation of this and making such a strong divide that to then go into a recreational space with it when so many companies have... I mean, do you guys have an idea of what the total investment in in both known private equity and and public equity is in the in the? Oh, it goes into the billions. It would go. It'd be. It would be. I heard one point six billion about a while ago. From and I I don't know if that's entirely true, but that is a significant amount of money put down through the medical model, through all of these very difficult hoops that people have had to jump. So I feel like if or when it does become recreational, that it'll probably be done in really small increments, still controlled by many of the structures that are controlling it now. Which, yeah, which are, to Mitch's point as well, I mean, the, I agree that TGA wouldn't like the idea of THC, but then I look at, say, alcohol and how is alcohol regulated in this country? And it's, you know, it's there's food safety standards. So would we potentially see it as it moves into that realm being taken out of the hands of the TGA and the TGA is only there to deal with um, cannabis in a medicinal form? God willing, no. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know, but um, I, I think that it would be more reasonable to think that CBD might start to become more OTC and then maybe able to be given out by some natural doctors with a maybe a prescriber's course or something. That's. I think it's going to be really slow and incremental. When, when we can go and buy um you know cbd seedsman buds over at a tobacconist uh, like you can in in europe you know the uh, last time i was over there i remember going to a little 7-eleven kind of thing and there was this menu in in, in the, the tobacco cupboard that was just all cbd buds and that so how long have we got till that a long way we're, we really do lag very far behind and i once again think with the amount of investment that's been thrown down and all of that influence and lobbying brought to bear that there'd be outrage uh, amongst, yeah, yeah. Uh, amongst the industry and some of them are uh, industry heavyweights and I think would still exert a fair bit of a, a boot to stick up someone's ass in Canberra. So, <laughs> yeah, I think, that, you know, the opiate industry, that was what was holding it back for a long time. There has been yeah. investments um, and I wouldn't uh, pretend to know how extensive by the opiate industry and various medical cannabis um, interests in the country. And so I think, once again, there's a huge amount of 
industry pressure that would would still get in the way of further uh, just follow the money as always follow the money (laughs) yeah and in saying that government could we have some independence maybe start to throw down a bit more on the medical cannabis debate i'm not sure with covid looming so large and that's going to be the political battleground my view in the next election largely is how was it or how should it around this whole issue we uh, that's what I think will happen next year in the in the elections. So I don't know how much of a feature medical cannabis will actually be at all in the political debate um, for quite some time. I think maybe it's more of a bureaucratic process now and an industry driven thing. Um, because I it is getting some traction in WA. Brian Walker and I can't remember. There was another senator. I'd forgotten about that for sure. They're they're, they're independents, right? They're sort yeah. Of fighters. Yeah. So if you got enough of them together, could we get some kind of pressure in the, in the blocks? I, I don't know, but um, I'd like yeah. to think so. Yeah. And, and I think that it will still trudge along a bit. I would like to see first as a as a really strong symbolic gesture that cannabis gets decriminalised recreationally. Of course, Absolutely. I want it to be legal, you know. I want adult use and all of that stuff. But as a first gesture, a really, a really good place to start from, decriminalise it for fuck's sake, you know. That's, it's, uh, well, past, I think, I think we're... Past. We're socially, forgetting socially it is decriminalized let's face it yeah it's true yeah. i mean but but it, we, we're forgetting that it is uh decriminalized for, for adult use at least in one place in australia yeah, good point good point yeah. so it's not it's not hard to fathom that we could follow a, a state-based kind of solution similar yeah. to what they do in the states correct but we have seen before we've seen a great disparity between states legislation you know yeah yeah um, and and have have had that that's been reversed after quite some time you know there was a point where you could have four plants down in adelaide and then went to one then nothing and then they'd come across the border and it was absolutely still forgotten so um you know those changes now are are far far less likely to be wound back obviously there's the the regulatory landscapes changed the the political sort of things change so much that I don't think you'll get too much wine back. But there was still a lot of federal pushback um, uh, in the situation in Canberra. It never amounted to anything, but there was still talk of, of uh, federal police being arresting people for small amounts of pot there. And so I'm glad to see that hasn't happened much. But is that going to necessarily, like the, we, we've seen with the corona thing, how uh, different the state's uh, legislative processes can be? It's hard. It's it's difficult for for the states to get along often in, in legislation. So, you know, things have got to be, I guess, federally brought in. But there's still a lot of pushback from the states. So, I don't know. What do you, what do you think in terms of you were thinking? You said sort of five to ten years. What's what's your? Call? I think you're on the money there, Luke. I, I'd say five to ten is is probably about as much time as the medical. Um, industry as we know it needs to evolve to continue to change our national psyche around how we think about it and to sort of reduce the you know the kind of the safety or the sorry reduce its profile as being potentially so you know this harmful reef of madness I, I think we've made a lot of inroads but the one thing I can confirm is when the day should come that we get you know federal harmony with the with the laws of a, of a state or territory and it's you know, it's, and we know it's going to be recreationally available. We're going to throw one heck of an alt med party. We'll probably, <laughs> I don't know. We'll probably, I was going to say we're going to do a big zoom call and get all our guests on, but we'll probably end up being able to do it in person. Hopefully um, when that day should come. We'll see back. the smoke signals from everywhere. Yeah. yeah we'll, be, exactly. we'll be hosting it in a, in a sauna, just a, yeah, yeah. a massive hot box. Uh, situation. <laughs> uh, that's bad sitting on them. It's yeah. Delta eight, Delta eight, of course. Delta eight indeed. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, look, I'd love to be. I'd love to, at some level, be a part of 
something I've, I've courted so many different ideas in myself and from other people about how I'd fit into it from being offered sales jobs to to equity in a company to whatever to to, to startups to already think to, to already you know to organizations that have already got their license and so as interesting as a lot of those things are to be honest with you I still find that with a balance between what I wanted to bring in my life which is more time with the family just more time in general get a rest up after the kind of battle so to speak um <clears throat> I still haven't found something that I really really am really want to do um other than start to offer a couple of licensed products that's something I've been talking about for ages and and uh curse me if I continue talking about it and doing not much about it for, for much longer but it's it's actually been a, a function of me just establishing a balance in my life and what we do even though it has it has you know not grown for a long time and there's been some there's been some, some, you know, some slowdown. We still have a very busy service providing to people who, uh, for whatever reason, indisposed to find it uh, elsewhere. And so I, you know, had expected to disintegrate before this as a, in, in the organisational capacity to assist patients because I thought the uptake in the licensed model would be uh, more comprehensive given the availability of it. So now people often by choice, as I said before, are still seeking out people like myself. So there's still a really, that, that's still a quite a consuming task for me is, is, is making that available and continuing to uh, make sure that's of, of the best quality, et cetera. So I'd like to continue doing what I do, really. That would be, you yeah. know, it's, I would be quite happy with a, a, even if it's a much smaller niche of what I already do, because that's what I'm, I'm good at. That's what I really love doing. It affords me a great deal of freedom to work in the way I'd like to. Is that sustainable or is that a smart idea to do? Is that the right, the right thing to do as a, from a business decision? Um, I don't know. I, I think that I'll find where I want to be when I want to be there and I'm still here. So uh, largely, and I, I still get a lot out of doing what I do at a personal level. It's still something I feel really strongly about. I'm just glad that there's that that, that now people are finding me out of choice. Um, and yeah, I would like to to do something. I, I recently got very close to something that I'd like to do, but it would really have meant, in literal terms, not in. It used to be that people would approach us with really amazing offers if you stop doing what you're doing, and then at some point you'll be able to help people. Um, and that was never attractive, but I recently got to keep doing what you're doing and do this as well and we'll draw a you know a, a great big line in the sand there and you can take part in this and that was that was super attractive but I also I had to look at well that's on top of what I'm already doing so time is the most precious thing yeah. and I'm still enjoying time with a little eight month girl old girl uh, and putting back in time that I didn't when my boy was young till he was about a year and a half I, I didn't see him a lot of the time like uh, the, the majority of it yeah. and so I'm giving to him what I uh, giving to her um, my little girl Acacia what I wasn't able to give to Tamer which is a lot of presence in a way that I wasn't able to do before so I'm a bit I'm a bit loath to let go of that to be honest yeah so, well you, you might end up just scaling back and I see a bit of a, a delta eight venture on the horizon um yeah look at down the line so yeah. we will 
keep an eye out for you. You got me again. You brought yeah. me back to the to the elephant I was trying to get away from. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's to be honest, it sat on me. I couldn't get away. We get, he's we already get. finished with Delta Eight. He's moving on to Delta Seven next. Delta Six Five Four Three Two One. Yeah. Hey, um, Luke. Honestly. It, it has been our pleasure having you on. We um, we knew that, uh, yeah, we we're going to tap into um, a few war stories and and hit some sweet spots, and and you've delivered in spades. So we we cannot thank you enough. And I reckon we might do this again um, a little bit down the line. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sad we have to cut it off now, but it, it's it, the truth is I think I remember the first time I spoke to Luke, and um, I we're on. A WhatsApp call or something like that. And I think I got off the call four and a half hours later. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, I know how much yeah. there is to talk yeah. about. We, we, uh, consider this part one, Luke, but I reckon we'll be <laughs> back for, uh, for many more parts to come. If, um, if you'll jump back on the show with us. Sure. No, no. Thanks for your time. No, thanks so much. Luke. We'll speak soon. Thanks Luke. Cheers. Okay.